0: Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started.
1: Hello again, fellow Kitchen Table Theologians, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, who, along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, are discovering what the scripture teaches regarding doctrine and theology. You know, things that a lot of Christians think are too difficult to tackle, too hard to understand, and too out of reach. But we're attempting to do this in a way that is applicable to the lives
2: we live. Attempting. We're attempting. Always attempting.
1: Always <laughs> attempting. <laughs> we do this because we agree with what C.S. Lewis once said, you must not do You must not even try to do the will of the Father unless you are prepared to know the doctrine. We want to help you know the doctrines of the Bible, and so here at Kitchen Table Theology, we want to help you be strong in your faith, knowledgeable in and of the Word, and growing in your love for Jesus. Today, we're continuing our study of understanding who we are in Christ. In previous podcasts, we've talked about the believer's position in Christ, the doctrines of justification, sanctification, and glorification, all of the (laughs) all <laughs> and on today's podcast, we're going to talk about the topic of regeneration. So Pastor Jeff, why don't you start us off with one of the key verses of this doctrine, which comes from Titus 3, 5. I'm going to read it for us and then you can jump right in. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's a great place to start.
2: It is thanks, Jen, and hello again, kitchen table theologians. You know this is a doctrine that has to do with beginnings and firsts. So don't you think it would have made sense that we would have started this series with this one, since it's first, it's beginning? But no,
1: perhaps we're we're saving it to like the second (laughs)
2: to last thing. Uh, But it's an it's a wonderful doctrine, and without it, we would know nothing of the new birth of being born again. So I think it was in the wonderful sovereign plan of God that. Because this doctrine, there there was a renewed understanding of this doctrine, this doctrine of regeneration in the 18th century. And out of that, the evangelical movement here in America, at least, was birthed, and it kind of jumped the Atlantic and went over into Ireland, Scotland, and uh, and, and England as well. But sadly, we, we might also say that it is because regeneration is an increasingly unknown doctrine, with a substantial underemphasis i think this is just my own personal opinion in our churches today that because it's it's underemphasized there's a, been a weakening of evangelical churches in the 21st century so i think to begin i'd love to share a true story i i love a story you love a story I we love all love a story. a story this is a true story john taylor smith was a bishop in the church of england in the early part of the 20th century and he served as a chaplain general of the British Army. I looked up, there's pictures of him online, and you should see the regalia. This dude was rocking. I mean, it, it's incredible. Uh, one time he was preaching at a large cathedral, and his text was from John 3:3: except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And while he's preaching to drive the point home, he said this, and I'll, I'll read what he said, just a couple sentences. My dear people, do not substitute anything for the new birth. You may be a member of a church, but church membership is not new birth. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now on the left sat the archdeacon of the cathedral in his pulpit chair. So he's up on the platform, you know, off to the side in this big semi-throne thing. And the bishop, Bishop Smith, points at this guy. And says, you might even be an archdeacon like my friend here and not be born again, and except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he pointed to himself, you might even be a bishop like myself and not be born again, and except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So service is over. Everybody goes home. Day or two later, the bishop received a letter from the archdeacon. And it said this, my dear bishop, you have found me out. I have found me out. I had been a clergyman for over 30 years, but I had never known anything of the joy that Christians speak of. I never could understand it. Mine has been hard legal service. I did not know what was the matter with me. But when you pointed directly to me and said you might even be an archdeacon and not be born again, I realized in a moment what the trouble was. I had never known anything of the new birth." Mm. Can you
1: imagine? That's not what I expected that letter to say.
2: I don't think the bishop expected that either, by I would by have the way.
1: opened that with trembling hands. <laughs> I mean, it took a
2: while for that guy to write that. Oh, for okay? sure. Because this was his career, yeah. and he's b- become archdeacon in one of the largest cathedrals. This is a good gig, quite frankly. He went on in the letter to say um, how wretched and miserable he was, that he'd been a- unable to sleep since then. So he was begging the bishop, basically, can you can you spare some time to talk with me? Mm. And Bishop Smith, in his uh some of his writing he he uh he shared the story, and he he wrote this, of course, I could spare the time and the next day, we went over the word of God, and after some hours, we were both on our knees. The archdeacon taking his place before God as a poor, lost sinner, and telling the Lord Jesus he would trust him as his savior from that time on, everything has been different. Mm. great story mm-hmm. about the new birth mm-hmm. and and that's that's regeneration you know there another story. This is story time on kitchen table theology.
1: <laughs> I'm on pins and needles.
2: <laughs> Another story that's been told is of an observer, someone who observed George Whitfield now George Whitfield uh lived from seventeen fourteen to seventeen seventy so that gives you some idea of when he was around. He was probably I think you know him and Billy Graham, the two greatest American evangelists ever. Hmm. Whitfield was incredible. And and a guy asked him one time, Mr. Whitfield, why are you always preaching in every sermon that you must be born again? And Whitfield replied, because, good sir, you must be born again. So Whitfield's observer wasn't the first one to be shocked by those words. You go back to the scriptures. One night in first century Jerusalem, one of the Pharisees, some guy was equally puzzled. In John 3, Jesus said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Hmm.
1: So clearly, something very important that we need to be studying about and learning about. But as you already said, we don't talk about it a lot. And you
2: hear about it less and less than need to be born again. Do and do you think a lot that of our maybe churches? It,
1: there is kind of something kind of spookier, scarier? It just sounds weird to people. I know people have said that to me before. You're not one of those born agains, are you? You know. Yeah. So so maybe where we need to start today is you know what exactly are we talking about when we talk about regeneration. Let's define exactly what this doctrine of regeneration is. You know, In today's podcast, we want to consider Jesus's words and the great truth we have regarding them, and this is an incredible doctrine. So, Pastor Jeff, how about define this for us a little bit more?
2: Sure. Let me go through a couple of definitions for us and then summarize them. Uh, Harold Wilmington defines regeneration as the process whereby God, through a second birth, imparts to the believing sinner a new nature. I saw, you know, all this stuff comes up in your Instagram feed, right? All these ads. I I hate it. It's almost enough to get off Instagram. Crazy stuff. Yep. But a guy... Somehow, I, I'm. They're targeting me to buy Christian t-shirts. So they must have listened on the podcast and realized I hate Christian t-shirts for the most part. I
1: was going to say they are. They are poking the wrong bear on that one for sure. But this was a
2: good one. This guy's got on a black t-shirt with white, big white letters across the front. It says "Born" and then a little two after it, "Born Squared." So uh, born again. To. I thought that was pretty good. Um, Lewis Berry Schaefer, another theologian, defines it expressing the concept of new life, new birth spiritual resurrection, new creation, and in general, a reference to the supernatural life that believers receive as sons of God. One one more. Wayne Grudem defines regeneration as a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us.
1: Okay. So what I'm piecing together in these definitions is that regeneration is the work of God that gives us new life to anyone who believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior.
2: And so, once again, why am I doing all the reading and all the research? Hey, and theology I just listen and, prep? and
1: try to put it in layman's terms. When, <laughs>
2: we have you here to say it. Very well said. I think we rightly can say that the term regeneration is used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in the salvation experience, which produces new life in the believer. In the actual Greek in John 3, when quite often we will read born again, you can also translate it quite accurately, born from above. Mm. So it's a new birth. And you know, the word regeneration, it's, it's only used two times in Scripture. You read one of the times in Titus 3, and it's also in Matthew 28. But the concept of regeneration is we see that over and over throughout Scripture and other expressions, particularly the idea of being born again. So regeneration is the act of being made born again or born from above. And I think this is really important. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, because I believe we have gotten to the point in most of our evangelical churches, we equate the new birth, being born again, only with Jesus, mm. and it is the work of the Holy Spirit that causes us to be born again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Trinity is involved, but uh, when when we are born again, we gain a new desire to do the will of God. That's our new nature. We're given life in God. And without regeneration, you know, these previous podcasts that we've done on glorification and justification and sanctification, without regeneration, we don't know any of those other doctrines is reality in our life. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I want to back up just a little bit because you made mention of the Holy Spirit there and that most Christians equate Jesus with salvation and the new birth, but sort of only leave out Jesus, right. Only, and then sort of leave out the role of the Trinity. So should we leave it at that or are there other parts of the Trinity that are involved as well?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. When, when someone is born again, The the indwelling presence of Jesus comes into his life or her life. So Christ becomes the spiritual life of the new believer. And your question, regeneration is more than just the presence of Christ or this act that Jesus does on us. It's more than just that. So you go to the words of Christ. He promised the Father would also indwell the believer. In John 14, he says, My Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with each of them. So there's the Father and the Son. Jesus saying, we're going to indwell the new believers. And also, as we've learned in previous podcasts, the Holy Spirit also indwells us as Christians, and his presence guarantees a new life. And in Romans 8, Paul plainly says, His spirit dwells in you. So therefore, when a person is regenerated, he or she receives the life of God because he or she is indwelt with the Trinity. And we see a parallel of this in the birth of Christ, in which God was His Father, the life of the Son was in Jesus, and He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So you see the Trinity involved in His birth, we see the Trinity involved in our new birth.
1: Mm. You were just mentioning Apostle Paul. I know that he talked about us being new creatures as a result of salvation which i now see is a result of regeneration. So i'm wondering how is the fact that a believer in Christ is a new creation a result of regeneration?
2: That's a hard question, but it has great answers. In in many <laughs> respects, regeneration's the foundation, okay, upon which all of our salvation is built. So without regeneration, without new life in Christ, there's no possibility of receiving any of the other aspects of salvation. Like I said before, we, without regeneration, the Holy Spirit does not indwell us. We're not justified. We're not glorified. Uh, we're not sanctified. And there's so many other subsequent results. There, there are some features, however, that are immediately evident in the fact of regeneration. So when we receive Christ by faith, we're born again. And in the act of the new birth, we received a new nature. And that's what the Bible refers to as the new man, which we are exhorted in Ephesians 4, Paul says, put on like a cloak, a coat, put on the new nature. So in that sense, we should avail ourselves of its contribution to our new life in Christ. Because of the new nature, when that happens in our lives, we may often experience drastic change in our lives, drastic change in our attitudes toward God. And on a very positive note, we may experience an immediate capacity to see victory over sin. Hmm.
1: Flush that out a little bit. How does regeneration work itself out in our everyday lives? What does it look like? Will we know it when we see it? Is this something that's only internal or does it play itself out in our interactions and our... We're,
2: we're getting very close to your so what question. We here. are. I, I, feel it, <laughs> I feel it coming. Well, I think simply the new life will bear fruit. Some of the results of the regenerated new life include righteousness, not committing sin, not, not always, we're not mm-hmm. perfect, but there, there will be a, a downturn in the committal of sin, an uptick in loving other people, an uptick in overcoming the world. And once regenerated, there are a number of things that perhaps we now love, which before we likely did not love, at least not love fully. You know, just for example, the new life causes me to love other Christians that perhaps before I didn't. It causes me to love Jesus at a deeper level. It causes me to love my enemies. Now, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it. Practically doable because of the power in us. It causes me to love the Bible. You know, I did, before Christ, how many people just sit around reading the Bible, mm-hmm. right? It's I don't understand it. Um, you know, we always joke about. As soon as I get to Leviticus, reading through the Bible, I'm done. And and the Bible was not a part of their lives, and all of a sudden now, the Bible becomes a part of your life, and they begin to read it, understand it, mm-hmm. because the Holy Spirit illumines it. To our minds and to our hearts, mm-hmm. we have a new love for prayer, a new love for holy living. That that's that sort of thing.
1: New vision, a new perspective, and we Everything's allow new. that. Yeah. So you were correct. This was on the road to the question, the so what f- question. I can feel it coming. <laughs> so while we can now understand regeneration better and appreciate it in greater measure, perhaps what difference does then it make? Where does the rubber meet the road for us?
2: So what, right? So what? Okay, so let's see. (laughs) I believe we find a number of the results of regeneration when we look in Scripture. So first of all, we no longer live in habitual sin. 1 John 3, 9 says, Those who have been born into God's family, so there's the new birth, Mm -hmm. do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So... We're not living in habitual sin as a result of the new birth. Additionally, we begin to have a genuine Christ like love for other people. Uh, We begin to live a victorious life. We begin to overcome pressures and temptations of the world that would otherwise keep us from obeying God's commandments, following his path. Back to 1 John again, we read, For everyone born of God has overcome the world. So the new birth says that because of that in our lives, we have overcome the world. And lastly, and this is a huge one. One of the results of regeneration is we are protected from Satan. We're no longer his. We're no longer at at his bidding. Go ahead. I, I can see I
1: know. I'm going to stop you there because <laughs> hold 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 the phone. She so took to a speak. deep
2: breath in and then she <laughs> held it.
1: put my coffee down and everything. The last time I checked, Satan was still doing a pretty good job at harassing believers. And I know that we all struggle with temptation and sin and the like, and that comes from the father of lies, right? The accuser of the brethren. So what do you mean we're protected from Satan?
2: Well, yeah, that's... You, you, you had a you had a visceral reaction. I to did. That. He's tapping
1: on my shoulder more days than I would care to admit. Well,
2: here's 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 how I would answer that. That doesn't mean we are untouchable, because we are. But do you remember when Jesus Jesus and Peter are talking, and this is before Peter got his new name. So Jesus said, "Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you, all the disciples, like wheat." But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. And then Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Actually, he was already named Peter by Jesus then. So I, that's interesting why he would call him Simon. There was a reason for that. But the point being, we are not untouchable. I mean, Satan, steal, kill, destroy, flaming arrows, the whole nine yards, temptation, et cetera, et cetera. But we are protected from him. And we are ultimately protected from him because of the new birth, because we're not going to hell. Mm -hmm. We're not under his domain any longer. Jesus has us. So in that sense, we're protected. Can he still hassle us? Can he still tempt us? Yes, because the world has fallen. But one day, it's not. But in the meantime, we're protected.
1: Hmm. Poor old Peter. I like to call them him the bless your heart. Bless <laughs> <disciple>. his heart. <laughs> he was going to go down swinging, wasn't he? <laughs> S-
2: seldom right, never in doubt.
1: Oh my goodness. And I guess we think about that. We think about Peter and his many denials, but we don't really think about that part, that sifting part of Satan that's a part of that conversation. And
2: I mean, when you get into that, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Hmm. So Satan had to go before God to make that request or or make that request to God in some way, shape, or form because we know evil can't be in God's presence. But Jesus knew about it. And, you know, Job, Satan did the same thing with Job. And God said, no, he'll remain true. Well, let me have a shot, you know, and and so off, off that went. Well, anyway, so, yeah, Jesus was referring to all the 12 disciples. He, he was after all of them. Why would he be after all of them? You ever thought about that? He got Judas. Mm-hmm. But he was after them all because those are the guys who established the church. Mm-hmm. So Satan knew if he could get them, there wasn't a plan B. Mm-hmm. So if he got them, the church of Jesus Christ it's what stopping happens the water to it?
1: at the source.
2: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and and you can you can read through the gospels post crucifixion and even to post resurrection somewhat Peter was singled out by Satan but Satan succeeded temporarily I think in scattering the disciples by striking down the chief shepherd Jesus and he succeeded only temporarily in striking down Peter Peter you know well what did Satan do well Satan got Peter through whatever means to deny Christ 3 times through all of his machinations somehow got Jesus to the cross but when you look at it from the sovereign plan of God, Satan didn't have anything to do with getting Jesus to the cross, mm-hmm. right? He, maybe he thought he did. Maybe others thought he did. But it was the divine plan of God since before the foundation of the world that Jesus would go to the cross, die, be resurrected. The uh, New American Standard Bible, my favorite, and the English Standard Version, which is another great translation, both say that Satan demanded mm-hmm. permission from God to target the apostles. They, they use that word demanded. Uh, So Satan wasn't like, well, please, God, you know, there there was this strong degree of insistence. I'm demanding permission to sift them like wheat. And and Satan demanded this permission from the sovereign Lord for himself. That's the middle voice in the language. So Satan was asking this for himself personally, his own selfish, destructive agenda.
1: And is it because of of that gravity that we see words like Jesus said that he pleaded in prayer. Yeah. And
2: thankfully he did. And we're very glad because, you know, Jesus had a more powerful role in that fight than Satan and, and Jesus told Peter, but I have prayed for you. And that's singular. I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Mm -hmm. So Satan takes full advantage of Peter's human weaknesses and succeeds in temporarily derailing him. But the evil one fails to fully destroy the apostle because Jesus interceded for him. And that we should all take great comfort in that. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, things like what you just said there, which we all say, you know, boy, he's really hitting me frequently. Mm-hmm. Well, every true believer in Christ has the assurance that Jesus continues to be our intercessory prayer warrior. And in that sense, we're protected from Satan. I mean, imagine things that would happen if we weren't being prayed for by Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and that happens, all of that happens because of the act in the doctrine of regeneration. That's where it all started.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, our time is winding down here, so leave us with some final words of wisdom today. Oh, I,
2: I don't have any words of wisdom. And that's a wrap here at <laughs> Kitchen Table Theology. <laughs> I would just leave us with a little challenge that we recover the great doctrine of regeneration. I make sure that I talk about the need for new birth, new birth, salvation. I I have made that a part of my preaching ministry for every year I've ever been in ministry, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, 38 years this, this year. But kitchen table theologians, let us see if God might not birth a new revival in our day. And that would be all predicated upon the fact that we do not get weak or move away from the doctrine of regeneration.
1: May it be so. May it be so. Well, that is all the time we have today, Kitchen Table Theology family. Like us, subscribe, leave a rating and a review. We would appreciate it very much. Yes. And check out today's show notes. All of these are resources prepared for you in advance, and you can find them at jeffgranston.com, where you may freely access our podcast archives along with Pastor Jeff's sermons, books, and his blog. We have another QA coming up soon, so drop a question via email to Pastor Jeff at LowcountryCC.org. Or or watch Pastor Jeff's Instagram at Pastor Jeff Cranston, where we'll be asking for your questions. See you next time here on Kitchen Table Theology when our topic will be the Doctrine of Adoption.
0: You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com You can also email us at Jeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.